I once bribed a security guard with $20 to get into an NSYNC concert. If you don't know, NSYNC was a popular boy band in the early 2000s. Was that a sin? Some of you are thinking, no, the original sin was the fact that you were outside anywhere near an NSYNC concert. You know, I could have justified my bribery by appealing to Proverbs 18:16, "A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men." <laughs> Didn't my $20 gift maketh room for me and bringeth me before the great Justin Timberlake? <laughs> Unfortunately for me, Proverbs 17:23 says, a wicked person secretly takes a bribe to subvert the course of justice. So I was participating in that subverting of justice. You know, here's the interesting thing about the book of Proverbs. One proverb will describe that the way that things are in the world, just kind of describing, like, this is how the world is, without passing much moral judgment. Another proverb will come along and reveal, though, that we are living in a moral universe governed by a just and a good God. Proverbs is a fascinating book. I don't know if you've ever taken a look at it, but you could even be turning there in your Bibles now. It's kind of near the middle of your Bibles. Um, I'll, I will warn you, though, just like a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we're going to be jumping all over this book, and so we have some verses on the screen as we jump around. But uh, Proverbs is a fascinating book. Uh, like I said, it's largely unstructured kind of anthology of wise sayings, mainly written by King Solomon, who was the king of Israel in around the 10th century BC. Altogether, these Proverbs kind of come together and give us a picture of the art of living well in God's world. Uh, there are many wrong ways to read the Proverbs, which we're not going to get into right now. Uh, we mentioned some of those a couple weeks ago. But today, and in this topical series in Proverbs, we're considering life's crucial questions kind of at the bookends of the spectrum of life. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were thinking about children and parents. Lord willing, we'll consider life and death, pain and pleasure. And today, we're considering poverty and riches. Today we're going to see that the book of Proverbs even has something to say to teenage boys outside of NSYNC concerts. And while many of you will have probably never struggled with bribery outside of concert venues, uh, we're going to see in the book of Proverbs today how we use our money reveals our identity and our destiny. God has spoken about how we are to use our money and possessions for His glory. And in the book of Proverbs alone, there are like a hundred sayings that have to do with possessions, money, work. Uh, and Jesus Himself, like turning to the New Testament, speaks about money and possessions more than heaven, hell, and sex combined. So we would do well to listen to what God has to say about the things that He has given us to steward. Uh, particularly about possessions and money. This is an important area of our lives that sometimes we don't like to 
hear about or talk about. It is often private. So after our tour, our brief tour through some of the selected Proverbs on money and possessions this morning, I hope that we will see that money and possessions reveal our identity and determines our future. So here's basically the main idea this morning. Your money defines you and determines your destiny. Your money defines you and determines your destiny. Uh, And just a forewarning, my first point, as it often is, is longer than the second. So first, let's consider how your money defines you. Now, if you're a Christian, I hope you're already uncomfortable. You're like, wait, what are you talking about? My identity is in Christ, not in anything I do. Uh, This is true. And yet, the voice of Christ, I think we hear calling us from the book of Proverbs this morning uh, so that we might examine if we are in Christ. Uh, Jesus himself says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, are we the fool or are we the wise person? Are we foolish or are we wise? Our money will tell us how we use our money. So, based on your, how you use your money, who are you? Well, what are you doing with all that cash? Proverbs 17, 16 asks this question, why does a fool have money in his hand with no intention of buying wisdom? One of the ways we know who we are is what we're in the market for. What are we looking to buy? Here it says, a fool has no intention of even buying wisdom. And we need to clarify what the fool is in Proverbs. I think sometimes when we use the term fool today, we think of someone who is ignorant, just plain stupid, maybe inexperienced. But most of the time, A fool in the book of Proverbs, it's moral. He has a value system that is haywire. The fool's got money here, so, you know, perhaps he's done well for himself, and in other Proverbs we'll see that a fool can be rich, he's earned a living, maybe he's even worked hard, but he's not going to, he's not interested in buying that which is of greatest value. It's not that wisdom isn't for sale. No, the fool has his eyes on other things besides wisdom. So here we're seeing this portrait of a fool trying to discern who we are. What does a fool want? So if he's not going to buy wisdom, what is he looking to buy? I mean, we could, we could guess, but let's see what Proverbs 17.24 tells us. Wisdom is the focus of the perceptive. So we're setting aside the wise person for a minute. I want us to focus on the second part of the proverb. But a fool's eyes roam to the ends of the earth. It's not that a fool just loves to travel, that he has wanderlust. No, the ends of the earth here is a metaphor for wrong and unattainable goals. Uh, the fool's eyes are roaming. He's restless. He's like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro by his passions and his desires. Do you ever find your eyes roaming like this? Seeking unattainable goals? fantasizing about maybe that that cruise that you want to go on, that trip around the world, retirement, career, that spouse that you wish you had, those children, those perfect children that you wish you had, that life that's just out of reach, maybe as you scroll through social media, maybe as you even look around this church and consider what you want that you don't have. 
You know, I think it's easy if you are a Christian to assume, you know, well, I believe in God and the gospel. I'm about good and righteous things. My identity is good in Him. But consider where your eyes are roaming. Consider what you're in the market for this morning. What we spend our money on, what we invest in, what we dream about, that's who we really are. You know, a fool's ambition for himself doesn't only lead to restlessness. A fool's lack of contentment and his desire for more blinds him to the needs of others. So as he's so consumed with his ambition for himself, he's unaware, he doesn't understand maybe the people around him. Uh, Listen to Proverbs 29.7, the righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked one, we could say the fool, morally foolish, the wicked one does not understand these concerns. Again, that's not an intellectual misunderstanding. It's a moral misunderstanding. I will say that not all fools are wicked, but here this wicked fool has been perverted by his greed. His lack of understanding um, does not go out to others. This made me, I know it's not Christmas, but it made me think of Ebenezer Scrooge, kind of a caricature of this. It wasn't the Ebenezer we sang about earlier. Um, Scrooge is this classic picture of greed, right? He is, he is turned in on himself, self-absorbed before his, his three visions there at the beginning of the story. Uh, he, he is unaware of the needs of those around him because he is living for himself. You know, Scrooge is the classic, you know, classic fool, classic greedy fool in literature. And we automatically think to ourselves, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. I give money to the church or to my favorite charity. But consider this. No fool thinks he's a fool. Right? Just the other day, I was talking to a pastor friend um, who has a couple in his congregation who wanted to help my, my friend uh, think through some of his weaknesses as a pastor. You know, very kind to set this meeting up. Um, <laughs> The, the pastor responded, you know, I'd be, I'd be happy to hear from you, and this, there's been some back and forth between them for some time. I'd, I'd be happy to hear from some feedback from you, but I'd also love the opportunity to point out to you some of the blind spots that I feel like you have, you have in your own life. So the couple declined the meeting, um, <laughs> and they said, and this is just a summary of the kind of a, a longer conversation, but they said, we don't have blind spots. You know, we laugh at that because it's so obvious when it's someone else, right? How can you say you don't have blind spots? Um, but isn't that, isn't that us? We don't think we have blind spots because, you know, we're blind. <laughs> we're not good at seeing our blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. But then God's Word comes to us in a book like Proverbs, and it's like every chapter is talking about money and possessions, it's, and we think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm actually good here. I'm good with my money. I'm generous. We don't assess our character in the light of God's Word, but
but we justify ourselves to ourselves. We minimize and rationalize how we are with our money rather than letting God's Word come in and convict us and challenge us. So, here just near the beginning of the sermon, I just want to encourage all of us, be willing to let God's Word shine in your hearts, particularly when it comes to this really important area of our discipleship in terms of how we use our money and our possessions. We would be foolish not to hear God's Word speak into these areas of our life, because if we are using our money foolishly, if we are spending our possessions largely on ourselves, the Bible says we're a fool. So, I have four quick applications and truths to help us with the blind spots that we all have when it comes to this area so that we can avoid being identified as the fool, being defined by the fool. First, pursue what's better. So, we're still in the first point, but first, pursue what's better. We consider this a little already. Listen to Proverbs 15, 16. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Money is not a bad thing in of itself. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, The wise are often rich through their hard work. But in Proverbs, again and again, we see wisdom or fear of the Lord is better than great treasure. We assent to that mentally. We're like, yes, I know that is true. But read 1 Kings 3 later this afternoon. I challenge you to read 1 Kings 3. King Solomon, the author of many of these Proverbs, God said, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you as the new king of Israel. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Is that what you would ask for? Is that what you want I think we kind of hope we'll get both like Solomon ended up getting. Um, But wisdom is what defined Solomon and particularly these sayings. So here's an opportunity to check our heart today as as we think about these things. What is it that if we got a raise or if we got a windfall of some money, how would we use that? Would we use it automatically, think about how we could raise our standard of living? the trip we could go on, the things that we could do for ourselves or family, and then kind of out of guilt, like, oh, yeah, 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 but yeah, I would, want to be gen- I would want to be generous, give some to the church and missions. Here we see in Proverbs that riches are good, but wisdom is far better. So pursue what's better. Second, get help. You probably knew this one was coming, but listen to Proverbs 28, 11. A rich person is wise in his own eyes, but a poor one who has discernment sees through him. I want to focus on the first part of this proverb. You know, we're all rich relative to the rest of the world and to in, world, in terms of world history. We live in a prosperous society, even though we, we will acknowledge there is a big gap between the rich and the poor, even in our country. The thing about prosperity is it can tangle itself around our hearts and make us foolish. This is the the wise in his own eyes part of the proverb. 
That's shorthand for a fool. So, I would encourage you to get someone else's eyes on your finances, and if you're married, not just your spouse. So, you're not operating with blinders on and seeking to simply justify what it is in your flesh that you want to do. This is a great way to grow in discipleship and love of the Lord and aligning your priorities with His priorities for your life. What would this look like? Well, hopefully, many of you uh, have prepared or will be preparing your taxes here soon, so you kind of, have, you kind of know how much you made. Uh, just take a few extra minutes, figure out how much did we spend on ourselves, how much did we save, how much did we give away, and get someone else's feedback. Ask for feedback. Ask for help. That sounds so countercultural when we are when this is such a private area for so many of us. Uh, but ask, maybe ask someone this week, someone you trust, not just a financial advisor that you can hire, uh, but a, a member of a church, this church who knows you well. I think if we neglect opening ourselves up to this part of our discipleship, we're neglecting a key part of our discipleship. Why would Jesus and the Scriptures talk about this so much if He intended us just to kind of figure it out on our own? We're to figure this out in community. So number two is get help. Number three, work hard. So much that is said in the Proverbs about not being a sluggard. We're encouraged to take example from like the ant even. Uh, Proverbs 13, 4 says, The slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. Here we see what is at the root of laziness. Cravings, but not being willing to work for them. A heart that is full of desire, but lacking in diligence. Uh, like, like the fool, I think a sluggard never thinks he's a sluggard. Like he's even willing to come up with crazy excuses for why he can't go to work. Oh, I heard there's lions in the street today, so I can't go outside and go to work. So what do your habits when it comes to work tell you about yourself? Uh, there's a wonderful little commentary on the Proverbs um, by Derek Kidner, that's K-I-D-N-E-R, that I would love to recommend to you, but he says four things about the slacker or the sluggard in the book of Proverbs, just to summarize them. He says, the sluggard will not begin things, he will not finish things, he will not face things, and he's restless. So he won't begin, finish, face, and he's restless. Do any of those things describe you? Maybe you should ask someone who knows you well. Let me say just a quick word to parents here when it comes to teaching our kids to work. That's a big part of our job as parents is to teach our kids to work hard. How's that going, parents? You know, we don't want our kids to be like this, uh, like the sluggard having nothing but having a bunch of cravings. And I think it can be easy, I know, as a parent myself, to just want to make our kids happy, to give them entertainment and leisure and rest and fun. But how can we also teach them not to just enjoy the good gifts that God has given us of rest and fun, but help our kids delight in a job well done? And a lot of that will be 
based on our attitude towards work. So, moms and dads, are you, are you speaking well about your job, or are you mainly complaining about another hard day at the office? Some good things to work through together. Fourth and finally, in terms of how we can remove the blinders and be exposed to God's wisdom when it comes to knowing who we are in light of our money and finances, we need to know the truth that money is a blessing. I think sometimes Christians have fallen off the wagon here and just assumed that poverty must be better because of the way that money can, can deceive us. But Proverbs certainly has a category for a wise, rich person. So don't misunderstand me to say that if you have a good amount of money, you are automatically a fool. Proverbs 10.15 says, the wealth of the rich is his fortified city. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. Uh, Again, Proverbs encourages, just like we considered in point three there about working hard, working diligently and hard to make a living. There is some security in wealth. We can put too much security in it. In another proverb, it says that a wealth's riches are like a high wall in his imagination. It's not quite as solid as maybe the fool is thinking that it is, but it's, it's good to, to have money and to steward that well. Uh, you've heard it said that it's not money that is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil from 1 Timothy 6. So, hopefully, just in these four quick things, applications and truths, in summarizing things from the book of Proverbs, you're able to take maybe something away from, from these, that whether you are rich or poor, however you would categorize yourself, actually, that doesn't matter that much to God, how much money you have. Money doesn't make a man. Don't misunderstand this point. But it does reveal who we are, what we value. Proverbs 22.2 concludes, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. So, I would encourage you to listen to this prayer of a wise father who's teaching his son a right response to poverty and riches near the end of the book of Proverbs. And ask yourself, is this something I would ask for? from a a good and generous heavenly Father? Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. You know, if we're being honest, I think we would be more likely to pray, Lord, give me wealth, but then give me wisdom in how to manage that. Like, give me a lot of money, but then help me be wise. But this is honest, right? This, this prayer is, it knows thyself. It knows the temptation that riches can bring and how it can define us. We begin to define ourselves as the rich man and become the fool. We, we all can tend to be fools when we have um, access to money and things that we don't need. And even if you wouldn't consider yourself rich here this morning, even a little bit of possessions and money can blind us.
Again, it gets to that root that we talked about earlier, a heart that craves, and we can become wise in our own eyes when it comes to our finances. So, friend, what would it look like for you to consider how to turn from foolishness today and invest in the wisdom of God revealed in His Word, and particularly revealed in His Son, to live for eternal things? You know, if, if you're someone here today who doesn't understand yourself to be religious or a Christian, God is offering you today a gift of the greatest value. Now, if I had a winning lottery ticket and I offered to give it to, to one of you, I'm sure you would take it. And yet, so many of us turn down a gift of so much greater value. We tune out this word of wisdom. We don't think we need it. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11 says, accept my instruction. This is wisdom speaking to us. Accept my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal it. Do you believe that? Let's not be fools, friends. Let's be wise and embrace this instruction, a knowledge of the holy, a knowledge of God's Son. You know, if, if you know the wisdom of God revealed in the gospel, I, I'd encourage you to, to consider what would it look like to value that more than anything that you're in the market for, maybe more than that retirement plan or that trip or that new car. And if you don't know the wisdom of God revealed in God in the gospel, let me share it with you. We serve a God. God made all of us to reflect His image, to reflect His generosity. He is rich in wisdom, and He rules the world with wisdom. He made us in His image to delight in Him, and yet we have all been fools. We are wise in our own eyes. We don't think we need help. We reject God's instruction, and we reject God's Son. We embrace the gifts. We like the things, but we don't have time for the giver. And because God is a just and a holy God, He would be good to punish us eternally for rejecting Him, that gift of greatest value. But while we were foolish, while we were scoundrels, God sent His Son. The Son is the perfect picture of the wisdom of God, and Jesus died on the cross for sinners like you and me, for fools, so that we could be made right with God. He was the perfect sacrifice, and He rose from the dead three days later, so that we could be right with Him and know an eternal safety of the riches of His glory. So, if that's something that sounds foreign to you or something that you've heard many times before, maybe you've grown up in the church, 
uh, but you don't know if you have embraced that as the gift of greatest value, what God has accomplished for you in the person of his son, oh, we would love to talk to you about that today. Kids, if that's something that you've grown up hearing your whole life, talk to your parents about this. Talk to someone at this church. Come back on Good Friday where we'll be taking some particular time just to focus on the death of Christ. And then as we gather on Easter to celebrate the victory and the hope of the resurrection. Now, if you've truly embraced this wisdom in the gospel, it will change who you are. It will change your values. It will change what you want. Rather than longing most for money and possessions, uh, your finances will reveal maybe just progressively over time as you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, uh, that you are one who looks to Christ and not the things of this world to fulfill you. Well, our money not only defines who we are, but it determines our destiny. That's what we're going to consider second and more briefly. Your money determines your destiny. So just as you can follow the money to discern who you are by what you value, you can also follow the paper trail to see where you're going. You can look back to see where you're going. Like, so for example, our nation's national debt, just look this up, apparently is $31.46 trillion. It's uh, not exactly good news. None of us obviously can predict what that's going to mean for our kids or our grandkids, but it's probably not going to be great. And I think in a similar way, we can look at our own lives and see what we're doing right now to predict to see where we're going. So how you're using your wealth right now is assigned to what your destination is. The, the path that we're laying for our future either is going to end in one of two places, right? Eternal prosperity or the greatest of depressions. But let's just first briefly consider what it, would be look, what it would look like to today be on a path that's leading to the greatest of depressions. In our last point, we consider just real quick that uh, the wisdom of working hard. But Proverbs also warns, comes around and says, be careful that you're not working too hard just to get rich. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. You know, it's not financial ruin, bankruptcy, uh, a a recession, losing our job that threatens our future most. These are things that we tend to worry about. Sometimes just talking about money makes us anxious. But the real danger is not the circumstances, but our attitude towards money, what we love. And we have warning after warning in Proverbs that our wealth cannot protect us from God's judgment. Proverbs 11.7 says, when the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing, and hope placed in wealth vanishes. Jesus tells many parables to to demonstrate this reality. So, what are you expecting your money to do for you in the future? What are you hoping that it will get you, that it will bring you security, 
ease, rest. You know, the Proverbs tells, tell us that those who are poor towards God will reap an empty wage in the next. There is a day of wrath coming. And what will appease the jealous and holy wrath of God against those who honored God with their lips, but whose hearts were actually out to make a name for themselves, out to make, to become rich, to mainly enjoy the good things of this life? Proverbs 11.4 tells us, wealth is not profitable on the day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. You know, a pursuit of worldly wealth without fear of the Lord, it tells us where we're going. Now, I trust that as I look around at at so many of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ here, I, I trust that you are not looking to your wealth to save you on the final day. I, I've seen it in your lives. I, I've seen a demonstration of trust in the Lord. Uh, you're seeking to walk in wisdom and be, be honest about the things that you're struggling with and asking for help. But how can we continue to grow in this and invest in eternal dwellings? What, it, what does it mean to walk the path that ends in eternal prosperity when it comes to just the practical things of life with our credit cards, with our paychecks. Well, I've got three quick applications for you. Three ways we can invest in eternal prosperity and not blindly be walking down that path to greatest depression. Pursue generosity, avoid debt, cultivate humility. First, pursue generosity. Consider as I read this next proverb, is this how I think about my giving? So listen, Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and He will give a reward to the lender. We can think of about generosity today as a loan to the Lord that we will cash in with interest in eternity. Now, Prosperity gospel preachers will have a heyday with this uh, to get you to, to make a donation to their ministry, um, and that they say, well, God promises to make you rich in this life, which will happen some days, uh, sometimes. Um, people who are generous in this life, often God blesses with great riches in this life. Um, so, they're partly right, but we do know that in the next life that the Lord will reward those who give generously. Uh, We serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who is rich in mercy and love. So, are you demonstrating your trust in this God of great riches by the way that you respond in generosity? You know, perhaps you're a member of this church, so primarily your giving goes to the ministry of this church, uh, which is biblical. Um, But I think sometimes the way things work today, I mean, if you're like Ashley and I, we give electronically, and that can kind of make us forget about the worship of giving, right? We we just, it just kind of happens automatically. I think there's an opportunity here even to consider, like, how much did we give this month, or how much did we give this year to the work of ministry, to the gospel? How much do we give away to those to the poor, to those who are in need. 
and we think maybe even what we could have done for ourselves with that money, and we rejoice in that sacrifice, that investing in others and in the work of the church is such a better investment. Uh, so maybe you could take some time to do that today, that, that God has given you a, a willing heart, and you don't give out of guilt, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm supposed to give money and kind of doing it, dragging your feet. But train yourself, because often that's where our hearts are at, if we're honest. Uh, but train ourselves to rejoice in the freedom of, of giving, even for our eternal self-interest, right? It's, it's, this is how the Proverbs speak to us, like, do it for yourself in eternity. Um, a little book to help us think about why we should give to the local church that we have recommended before, but this is as good of time as any to recommend it again, is Why Should I Give? To my church by Jamie Dunlop, and we have, I've scattered these around the church, so you can go like on a hunt and find them. No, they're by the back doors and at the welcome desk. I'd encourage you to check it out to see what the Bible has to say about giving generously to the work of the ministry. I think also this proverb that I, I read earlier speaks to giving to the poor, which is something that I will just remind us that we have an opportunity to do here at Henson through the Benevolence Fund. So we used to announce this every month, but especially if you're new to the church, we have a fund called the Benevolence Fund that goes to meet practical needs of those here in our community and particularly our church family. And you can designate a gift uh, to help those who are going through a difficult time, who need help with, with rent or medical bills or counseling. Um, so however you give to the church, you can, you can give to the Benevolence Fund, and it has been a joy to come alongside others who are going through financial difficulty to bless them because of the generosity of the church. I will say finally, this is my longest of the subpoints, but this church has demonstrated such generosity. Um, I know for our family, just uh, individually, but the, the giving of this church is a testimony of where, what are, where we're going, where our, our heart is set. And even just this last year in 2022, the last month of the year, I think we gave as a church more than we've ever given before as a church family. And that is an opportunity just to thank God for the, the riches that He's given us and the opportunity to give to the work of the gospel uh, through this church and around the world. So, we, we should be thankful for even if there's seasons when we cannot give, that there's brothers and sisters who are sacrificially giving, and we can share in that. Uh, second, and more briefly, avoid debt. Now, what this looks like in today's world is, is complex, but the, the general rule is clear from Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs extols the wisdom of not tying yourself down with too much debt, right? This, is, this could be kind of common wisdom, but I think particularly as Christians, we should see debt as a form of slavery. I'm not saying that if you are a homeowner with a mortgage that you are a slave, although that's maybe how it feels sometimes. But I do think we do, we do tie ourselves down if we accumulate debt, if with, whether it be car payments, credit card debt student loans that will realistically take maybe years or decades to t pay off. Um, that can be a way that it can be difficult to have a kingdom mindset, to be on that road towards eternal prosperity in our minds. Um, your debts can show where you're going, and all too often we spend money that we don't have 
on things that we don't need, um, with money that, or on things that we don't, and things that we can't afford. So, again, your debts will show where you're looking, where you're going. And if you are free from debt, you will have more freedom to give generously and to be looking to our eternal dwellings. Third and finally, cultivate humility. The road to eternal prosperity is marked with humility. Listen to Proverbs 22.4. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. I've mentioned a couple times now that we can tend to be anxious about money. We fear what might happen to us at times even more than, than the Lord. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. This is a good reminder that there are riches that are greater than Solomon's riches. There is a wisdom that is greater than Solomon. Behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Friends, we should conclude. Our wise father sent his son to teach us. He came as a preacher. He came to teach us true wisdom. He knows what we need. He's taking care of us even right now, even as we can be tempted to worry. We think we need many things, but he knows what we need. And he is gracious and good to give us many good things for us to enjoy and to thank him for. What we need most is to humbly follow King Jesus, who rode humbly himself on a colt into Jerusalem to die on Palm Sunday. He was the king of creation. He created the world by his wisdom. And there he was, in time and space, going to die for us. Rather than exalting himself, enjoying the riches of the fellowship that he had known with the Father and the Spirit, for all eternity, he was willing to go to the cross for fools like you and me. So will you embrace the wisdom of the cross today? Will you humbly follow the king who was rich beyond measure, but for our sake became poor? We can tell if we're wise or foolish by how we use our money and our possessions. Money and possessions are simply a proxy for what we value. And our use of money and possessions will also show us where we're going. So how are you going to respond this morning to the King of Wisdom? He has spoken a word of wisdom 
even in just this, this book of seemingly random sayings, but it is wisdom from God spoken by Christ. We can know who we are and ask him to help us persevere until that final day. So will you follow this wise and generous king today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would joyfully accept your instruction and value it more than silver, that we would know you, not just in our heads, but that we would value you more than all the things of this world. Lord, for your wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal you. So, Lord, help us to to fear you. Help us to hate evil. We pray that you would take off the blinders and expose us by the light of your word. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. We pray that you would convict. We pray that you would challenge. And, Lord, when we feel burdened by our guilt, we pray that we would rejoice in the King of Wisdom who went to the cross to bear our guilt and shame so that we could know freedom, so that we could live a life to you. So, Lord, we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now hear this good word from God's word. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.